0: Cooper the Keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 252. And with that, no- with that number, we're going to give a shout out to the 4,252 fans at the 2014 NWSL Championship in Tukwila, Washington, just south of Seattle. Yeah, it sounds like a small number, but that was a sold out crowd that watched FC Kansas City defeat the NWSL Shield holders, Seattle Reign, for the league title. The following year, the league moved the NWSL Championship game to a predetermined venue format instead of having the highest remaining seed host, which has allowed for larger crowds and, of course, better options for fan travel to the final. This year's final will be at WakeMed Park in Cary, North Carolina on Sunday, October 7th, and tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. All right, one great chat today with my friend Jordan Angeli former NWSL and WPS player, also played for the U.S. U-20 women's national team, and now she's doing a lot of broadcast work. Jordan had this special adventure of traveling through France uh, for the entire Women's World Cup with the U.S. soccer group, um, doing a lot of social media content from the fan perspective throughout the World Cup. And so I wanted to talk to her about her time in France, what she saw at the games, especially as a former player, but also someone who was close to not only fans watching, but also players' families watching. So we had a great chat. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jordan Angeli. We're both just back from France. Um, I, of course, was doing stat work for Fox Sports and having a little bit of a vacation at the end. Jordan, you were working the entire tournament for U.S. soccer, doing social media, fan engagement, traveling with the team everywhere they went. I I can't imagine how long it's going to take you to recover.
1: Well, I was just going to ask you, Jen, like, are you, are you fully back? Because I still feel a little, I feel a little weird. Yesterday, just a day in the life yesterday, I was in New York at the ticker tape parade, getting up at 5.30 to be on a float in the parade and then <laughs> taking the charter with the team to LA to go to the S V. So I don't really feel like this is real life, but I am <laughs> soaking every moment of it in.
0: Well, I have not been on a charter with the team or in a ticker tape parade or woken up at 5 a.m., thank God. But I, I'm still walking around like, what day is it? And wait, why aren't people speaking French?
1: <laughs> I, the... I keep saying mercy. People like I've been to now, I'm in my third city in two days and I keep like people opening the door for me or like my Uber drivers, I keep saying merci and I'm like, merci, merci. <laughs> merci Jordan. Nobody speaks French anymore. You can't show off all your French that you learned, which was like six words. It was not good.
0: But, but see that that's all you need as long as you try and most people don't realize this about the French as long as you try to speak French, they're they're like oh that's nice that you tried we'll talk English now, mm-hmm. you know or yeah, or if they yeah. or if they don't, or if they don't speak English you know pointing can get a lot accomplished.
1: Yeah, you know? and we were in most of the time big enough cities that they deal with a lot of tourists, so they didn't have too big of a deal about it. I, I was happy we ended in Lyon because. It was just a really friendly city to get around in. It gave you that French vibe without being overwhelming like paris it was It was a great place to end the tournament
0: yeah, and to be kind of in the like i would say the center of we could call it the women's soccer capital of the world when you when you think of what you know that that club team has done. Um, mm-hmm. And I did, I did like that, you know, even though Leon's the third largest city in, in France, it's nowhere near as big as Paris. Like Paris is just overwhelming. Uh, you know, the whole touristy thing, like you can't walk anywhere near the the Eiffel Tower without, you know, all the vendors selling really cheap, gaudy, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so yeah, I, I did enjoy, enjoy Leon uh, despite the heat. And, and I have oh. to ask you, like, how did, you know, was the team affected by, by that much? I mean, like, were they able to adjust training or, I mean, thankfully this is one of the, the benefits of a nine o'clock local kick that at least it was well past the hottest point of the day. But, you know, uh, as you guys journeyed through France, I mean, how did, how did you guys deal with the heat?
1: you know, I think you really start to appreciate air conditioning and I did, I wasn't with the team everywhere. So traveling, um, even lodging, I wasn't with the team. So U S soccer has their own, uh, media.
0: Own bubble. Own bubble. Yeah.
1: They, the team really is secluded and, and that's what, they need. And so even if you are a staff member with U.S. soccer, you're not necessarily with the team all the time. So I traveled mostly with other traveling U.S. media members, which was really cool to see the hard work that those people put in, honestly. The amount of hours they spend preparing to write an article, to going to games, staying up late, talking with each other, discussing uh, what they saw in a game, these people are so such hardworking people. And I think I really began to appreciate it on a different level. This World Cup is traveling with them and seeing how they tell their stories. And, you know, the media is such a big part of what the perception of the team is, especially when you're in France and you're away. From my point of view, I, I wasn't able to watch a lot of – the games that were on fox back at home yeah of course i did my best to get a vpn and watch as many as i could but it's just the timing as you said is a little bit different the games were at 6 and 9 p.m and that's when uh, by that time in the day you are starving and trying to find something to eat. <laughs> and because uh, the, the beginning of the day just kind of is a whirlwind and you, you're going from here to there and so I didn't see every single game, but these reporters and these media members are doing their best to watch every single game. So it was really neat from that perspective. The heat and the team. Going back to your question, um, you know, I think the team said it perfectly when they answered that question during the World Cup: is they play in this every single summer. Out of any of the teams in the world, they're the most acclimated to playing in heat. Most of them playing in north carolina orlando houston these are places washington i would even throw in there that are humid and hot in the summer and it's you know you have to even if you're not training and playing in that every day you have to go play games there so they knew what it was going to take and they had to add that edge mentally to the edge that they already have mentally, it was just a little extra because you could tell in those games, they just really figured out a way to continue to play. Even when the elements were difficult, plus they had the deepest in there. So the amount of rest that they had helps them with any kind of fatigue or, uh, effects that the heat may have created. And that's a great point about,
0: about NWSL, you know, just that yeah they've they've had the most exposure to it, but go ahead yeah
1: and just the I can't speak to the resources that other teams have, but the resources that the u s women's national team has and their staff and the attention to detail they have with nutrition and recovery and all of that you know the the people that they're cheering for at the parade yesterday or when they get recognized, they're cheering for their chef, they're cheering for their sports performance person, and they're cheering for their, like, GM person that manages their team. They they appreciate how much work those people have put in to help them uh, take some of that, lo- that, that weight off their shoulders, right? Because Don Scott, their sports performance person for the U.S. Women's National Team, was telling me, yesterday that they think they made over 3,500 shakes for the team over the course of the month. And those are recovery shakes to breakfast, you know, like anything, but that's really on the recovery and that nutritional aspect of what, how they prepared to go into games and how they recovered after games. So that's incredible. And to have that resources is, it pays off and they really appreciate, I think the resources that they have.
0: And when you think about operationally and logistically, everything that you need to be able to have for a month long tournament, you know, with probably up to a week before, you know, being abroad. So five weeks in a foreign country, not only do you have the 23 players, but you've got the coaches, the staff, all the support group. So and and you think of the training gear. Uh, like I said, the, the, the shakes, the uniforms, the poor people doing all the laundry for the team. Oh, yeah. And, they cheered and, for him, too. They
1: definitely <laughs> gave him a cheer, too. Ryan Dell. He's amazing.
0: And then you think about in the the trophy ceremony at, at the end after they win, and they're all wearing jerseys that say Champions 19 on the back. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, 23 shirts that they had to have ready that of course you don't want the team to see until afterwards. You know, much much like I was so pleased in the stadium a- as we left, um, the the con- the merchandise stands already had t-shirts up that were Oh they did you know, yeah, that, that were USA champions. And I'm like, oh. yes, score. Is that right? <laughs> I I I bought several. I was like, that one, that one, that one, that one, thank you. <laughs> or actually, actually, I was, I was like, Sa, sa, la yeah. XX yeah, Rhonda? yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, It was, yeah, I didn't notice that, but um, I think I was still just like on a, a high of what had just happened. And it, I kept telling people, like, I can't believe that just happened. And yeah. I think that's just like our natural response is like, I can't believe it just happened. But I, that was what was supposed to happen. Like they were the best team in the world they have shown their dominance for the last few years. And it was like, if it happened any other way, then I really couldn't have believed it. But like, that was just, it was, it was how it's supposed to be.
0: And I was so pleased that the final was not a blowout because I mean, I mean, I didn't feel there was any way that the U S was going to lose, but I also feel uh-huh. like you want a good game you know, that's, yeah. that's better for the sport, better for the ratings. I, I think our team always plays better when they're given a challenge, you know, and I don't think we would have seen that moment of brilliance from Rose Lavelle if it was, you know, a rollover match.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I did predict it was gonna be four to nothing and it was a little so my role with US soccer throughout the whole tournament is I took over one of their Instagram accounts, which is all based around their fans and mm-hmm. the culture of US soccer fans. So it's called the Instagram account's called since nineteen thirteen. And mm-hmm. then I, I took over Snapchat. So I'm I'm very focused on what's going on in the stadium, around the stadium pregame and then you know what the what's happening during the match and for me every single game during the world cup I sat with friends and family so I'm sitting next to Tobin Heath's dad or next to Sam Lewis's parents in front of uh, or behind Crystal Dunn's dad or Kristen Press's father so I'm in these really unique uh, places and it also brings up things that you just forget about when you're a player. And I think it was really cool that I got to document it because of that fact. So when that moment happened in the final, well, first we were getting super antsy because we weren't used to like going through a game 15 minutes in and not having a goal. So we we're like, right. the First, we were like, can it be halftime already? Especially with that little push that the Netherlands had towards the end of the first half. I think everybody was just like, okay, blow the whistle, blow the whistle, blow the whistle. Um, and with that terrible challenge on Kelly O'Hara, it was just really scary. Her parents and family were sitting right behind me, and that's just like a very a tough spot to be in, you know. I um, don't really know what happened, and to see that, we were sitting on the upper tier of the stadium. You're far away. It's just a lot of emotion. So um, halftime was very well received. Everybody was happy to get their 0-0. <laughs> of course, wanted to have a goal. But then going into the second half, and with especially that Rose Lavelle goal, It was one of those moments that you know you've been in soccer for a long time when you experience this is every parent yelling to the kids on the the field, shoot, shoot, shoot and (laughs) Roosevelt's dribbling and like weaving through these people and nobody's stepping and everybody up there is like shoot the ball, shoot the ball and then she scored and it was just like a burst of relief and excitement and um but that shoot the ball soccer mom moment was amazing to be a part of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and and to see different faces come forward, you know. Um, I, I loved in the semifinal that we got a goal from Kristen Press, and not just a goal, but a header goal. I, you know, stat geek that I am, I ended up staying up late that night to check how many header goals has she had. And that was only her fourth header goal for the national team and her first header goal in three and a half years. Yeah, you know, it was was like that was different. That was, you know, it's it's like it's something she worked on in post game. I love that she said to Alex Curry on Fox, "It's like I channeled my inner Carly Lloyd." That's funny.
1: (laughs) Well, I very much believe too, like in in divine intervention. And there was a lot going on with Kristen this last year. If you know anything about her family and and losing her mother and. um you know, this is a game. She starts this game. It's her second start in the world cup, but it's her first world cup goal. And I just happen to get the seat right behind her dad. Just that's where my, my seat is. And I've been capturing all these moments um, of parents celebrating. Like if you've seen, if you saw the video of Lindsay Horan's parents celebrating of Sam Uis's parents celebrating of Alyssa Nair's parents celebrating, like these are, literally just sitting behind these parents and almost like this one, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm sitting right behind Kristen Press's dad and they start to go into this attack. And I'm like, I just know this is going to be a moment. So I turn the camera on and I get his reaction and that she scored a head goal. I just think it like for me, I just believe in that. And all of those signs and things are just all, um, leading to that moment for her. And she points up to her mom and, you know, uh, said something about that being for her mom after the game and how she was thinking about her. So there was a lot, it's like really emotional when I think about it because being on, on the side where, Um, you know, I used to play the game and I used to, um, have these moments where I knew I was paying for something greater than myself and to, to see other people experience that right in front of you and get to share those moments, not only with the world, but more importantly, with the players, I think was really cool because otherwise they would have never known what was happening to their parents when they scored. Right. And to capture that and get to show it to them was a real blessing.
0: Well, I certainly know that feeling you're talking about. Of you sense a moment's coming, and you get your camera on, you know, and and how those they they just unfold naturally, like as if it had already happened, and you were just capturing the the replay, you know. And, yeah, that's cool. And then you know, you mentioned depth, and when you think about you know the semifinal, Megan Rapinoe sat because of a very minor injury. She scored both goals in the round of 16, both goals in the quarterfinal and here you're resting that player and the team does not miss a beat because of yeah. that depth. I mean, could you imagine how Portugal would be if okay, you're going into the semifinal but hey, we're going to sit Cristiano Ronaldo. For sure. Yeah. It just it just totally speaks to the the incredible depth on that team and nice it wasn't
1: between um Cristiano Ronaldo and Megan Rapinoe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and I didn't even realize till I was looking at the game reports later and doing kind of like my final stats update. I was like, Oh my God, Lindsey Rand didn't even come on the field. Yeah. You know, and when, when, when we look at like, you know, Mallory Pugh, Tiana Davidson, these really strong young players, um, that probably would have been starters on most other teams, like not getting a lot of minutes, this tournament it, it's like yeah, there's just you know there's only eleven spots on the field, only ten of them field players, so you know what are you going to do, but it's just like yeah i don't yeah. think I don't think you can underestimate the the depth on this team and and when I compare it to two thousand fifteen I, f- I feel like this is probably the deepest team we've ever had in terms of the number of legitimate starters that sat a fair amount of the tournament
1: i don't think we've ever seen a team as deep as this team just with their ability to execute in key moments it's just i don't know it it's hard to think with how much growth there has been in women's soccer over the last 20 years that uh-huh. this team and what they did at the world cup with these other teams getting better and better right england the, they beat they beat france they beat these teams who continue to get better and i think those teams are better than any other teams that we saw maybe germany um can be thrown like germany's had some solid teams over the years but just the quality of opponent too in particular games i think it's just hard to say that this isn't the best national team that we've seen
0: and you know, and it, it, it's a cliche to say the world is catching up, the world is catching up, and, and to see this this dominance. But I, I feel like overall this this tournament was, you know, by far the most competitive we've seen. And there, I know there's going to be people like, oh, what about Thailand 13-0? It's like that still happens in the Men's World Cup. We, we've, we've seen it. There's going to be off games for certain teams. And because of how the World Cup is structured, how qualifying is structured, you know, there is that focus on geographic distribution. You know, that yeah. you're you're always going to have you know the, the the possibility of that. But I love that. You know, even around a sixteen, I was thinking, damn, there's some really good teams that are not going to advance. It was no longer a handful of teams that could. Move forward. It was several teams, and you know when you, when you think about the teams, the big names that we're used to that weren't even seeded this time around. So Brazil, not a seeded team. Sweden, you know, not a Sweden- seeded team, and they should have been in, in 2015, but but didn't get to be. Netherlands, you know, first World Cup last time, champions of Europe in 2017, making their their first World Cup final, and they had to go through. Uh, the UEFA playoff for qualifying. So it's just, mm. yeah, it was mm-hmm. it, it, it was so delicious the whole month. And, and I think now we're all on that kind of down part of like, wait, what do you mean? There's not two or three really emotional, meaningful soccer games on TV every day.
1: That's always the weirdest <laughs> part of the tournament. I think is going from the three games a day to zero games. You're like, what? Yeah. But um, also being there, it was very nice change the pace, uh, saying like, oh, I can sleep in and take um, some time to breathe today. <laughs> That's always good.
0: Well, and thankfully, we're, and it's a weird thing to say, but we're in the middle of Cell season, unlike, you know, England's league or Bundesliga or Spain or Portugal, uh, but you know, the players are gonna be coming back to NWSL next week. We've got games this weekend. I, I've been so pleased to see, you know, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan mention the NWSL in their major media interviews, which is huge. And I feel like we're in such a different place than twenty fifteen where you had some players that retired immediately following the World Cup or some who were injured, like Alex Morgan and Sydney LaRue and couldn't finish the rest of the season any anyway. So you know, the league didn't get to benefit from that. But here, every single one of them, they're coming back. I don't see any of these people retiring this year or even, or even next year. I think that's going to be such a great boost. But I want to hear your perspective as someone who was a player in WPS in 2011 when, you know, we had that amazing quarterfinal against Brazil. They make it all the way to the finals and barely lose on penalties. To, to japan and then 2015 your final year in nwsl you see this in- incredible 5-2 win and carly lloyd's hat trick in vancouver and then now 2019 so you know from your perspective what what have you seen
1: well this will be the first year that i'm not dealing with like something crazy after a world cup it's just back to life as normal. The the first time, as you <laughs> mentioned, 2011, I had torn my ACL for the third time, so I wasn't actually playing in WPS. So I came back to, um, you know, I was kind of in and out of my club team, just uh-huh. it was very hard being in that environment. And so I don't think I really got to... Appreciate what happened and the. the I, I remember that Western New York Flash game. I think the final was there and the amount of people that came out for that final. So right. I remember the boost there, but I uh, didn't really get to experience in that and in a way where, like, I felt joy in it. Um, 2015, I got waived the day after the World Cup final, and I'm still mad that I got waived the day before the World Cup final because I would have been at the World Cup final. So I mean, no (laughs) hard feelings there at all. I don't remember it. I'm not still upset. Uh, So I immediately... You're just saying. You're just saying. I immediately transitioned from being an athlete to, okay, well, I'm going to go and do, um, you know, what I had already been working on, which was broadcasting. So I moved um, about two weeks after that to Alabama to work for the University of Alabama and SEC network uh, in calling soccer games. So I transitioned quickly out of the women's soccer world into college soccer. And uh, I think I didn't really get to fully, Uh, Both of those were really challenging times for me in my life. And this is not like that. But I can appreciate what happened in those two years, those two uh, cycles and uh, the boost that we always see after a World Cup. And I think we'll see that same thing. And it will be different, Jen, because I, uh, the one thing I've noticed that I don't remember in the last two, and as I've just mentioned, my memory is a little bit more skewed to like my personal life in those moments. But Mm -hmm. I don't remember the talk about how important the women's league was. I don't remember the players advocating for um, the women's, like watching the league and. what these players were worth, or Alex Morgan last night at the SD saying we need to tell more stories about female athletes, not just go watch the games, but not turn on sports center and it be dominated by only male athletes it It should be both athletes, it should be all athletes and I think her pushing that and saying that is a a, a great step towards what it needs to what needs to happen here. And there will be a, there will be a giant, uh, leap. I think that people will go to games now. And, um, I'm actually here in Portland. I call a Rapids game on Saturday and the Thorns play on Sunday and I'm going to go to that game. And the Thorns is not a place where like, it's going to feel like there's that big of a jump, right? There's not that big of a, um, because they're not going from 4,000 fans to 14,000 fans. But I think other teams have an opportunity to pull some fans in and create a buzz around what's going on. Now um, I think it's always the sustainability and how that goes from the end of this year into the following year. And that's where things can start to get lost and you can lose fans and people still stay more interested in the women's national team and not, the NWSL or whatever the league may be. So how do you keep those fans? And, you know, even things like Allie Krieger saying, you know, the the U.S. women's B team, the national team B team, or their non-starters in all these games would be the second best team in the tournament. Well, if that's true, like what, where, who's the third best team? Is it one of those others or (laughs) is it an accumulation of these players that are playing in NWSL? So there are stories to be told. There's a lot that um, is moving forward and the advertisement that Budweiser did is a good advertisement saying, you know, continue watching these, these women. It's not every four years. It's every summer. It's every year that they're competing and you can become a fan just that easily
0: well i'm glad you brought up budweiser because that's huge too um even though i would say that the league kind of bungled the announcement of it the fact that they finally have a major national sponsor who which includes naming rights for the final and and some other elements is like thank you you know and, and here here's a sponsor that's already been a sponsor, um, you know, for US soccer, obviously has been a sponsor in many sporting areas, so knows how to execute sponsorship, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh. Like, like I, uh-huh. I was already thinking, I'm like, oh, this is great. I can talk to the local Budweiser rep in Houston of, hey, don't you do you want to come out to our dash parties and advertise that, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's such a natural sporting thing. And, and I love that it's not a woman's brand or a children's brand or a household product brand. I love that it's a brand that it already has a definitive sports connection.
1: Yeah. And just going along with that, I think it makes a fan a fan, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't put a fan of women's soccer in a box. Uh, They're supposed to be this certain thing. I, I, I know that there's a lot of talk about it being, you know why it was the sponsor that it was, and I, I I really don't think that's up to me to decide. But for me, when I think of a sporting event, like I think of certain particular things. Um, a lot of the times, that's like hot dogs and beers, right? Like I don't really, <laughs> yeah. I, personally personally I don't have either one of those at a game, or like hardly ever. But that's what I think about when I think about sporting events, and I think it's nice that that is. It's just showing you that this is a sporting event. it's not a, it's not a woman's sporting event. It's just a sporting event,
0: yeah, yeah, and and that's why I, I too I like that it's like it just says it just says sports. It doesn't say yeah. charity, yeah it doesn't say girls. it's not you know what when, when I because you know I do this regularly when I go back and watch you know WSA highlights and they had like the air detergent you know soccer mom of the month. Than you know stuff like that. Where you know I know what they were trying to do, but I I I think the mistake that we keep seeing made is the assumption of who the fan base is without actually doing the research on who the fan base is. Um, And and I saw I saw MLS do the same thing where where they tried so hard to promote to families starting out, and it's like yeah, that is part of your base, but that's generally not your week in week out ticket base. They're not going to spend the most money, you know, because if you've got kids, then concessions and parking add, adds up pretty quickly, you know, and, and I've seen with from when I was still, uh, you know, working at, at Soccer for All, it's like the demand for merch coming was not, I want something for my kids. It was, I want something for, for me. And it was, you know, I, don't, I rarely sold anything smaller than an adult large, you
1: know, so. Yeah, it's... Um... I think at some point, too, when you're marketing in these leagues and you have a consistent league for a number of years, your fan base is going to be transformed, right? We have now had the privilege of growing up with the game of soccer since we were very young. Like I started playing when I was five, and most people that are my age played soccer at some point in their life, and I think that... Those are the fans that you have now. And even with right. even with uh, w- women's soccer and NWSL, you have had fans now for seven years. So if it was a 14-year-old, they're now 21. And that's just a different fan than a 14-year-old. And it's a, it's a maturing audience. I'm not saying you can't still try to promote to these families and inspire young kids to believe that they can do whatever they want. But you also want to tap into that new not new but developed base of fans who are saying like I've been here since the beginning and I've grown and I've become an adult and my passion is soccer it's not like inspiring I'm not keying into the inspiration for younger athletes I'm keying into like we're going to dominate and this is my team because I love what they stand for
0: Right, and, and I, I feel like that's that's the the missing piece. That's the final piece that that we're approaching. Where it's like, it's a sport. It's not a women's sport. It's a sport. It doesn't have to be inspirational, though. It will often be inspirational, you mm-hmm. know. And, mm-hmm. and, and as we've seen with, you know, I I would call like. You know, the amazing transformation of Megan Rapino over, over the last year where it's like she was already a personality and, you know, uh, a, a celebrity of some sorts and, and a power player on this team. But to see her do it for the entire tournament, world's biggest stage with all the political and social issues swirling around her and it never seemed to bother her. Like it was like, it was like next level Megan Rapinoe that we didn't know exist, but she's like, Hey, here I am, bitches deal with it.
1: She's just for (laughs) herself. And I think that's one thing I noticed about this team is like everyone is themselves and it's, they don't have to be someone they're not and there's a real freedom about them in that way. And yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to describe what, Like what Megan did, and um, uh, with the pressure that she had put on her, and after their GMA appearance, I was talking to her in the green room, and I was like, "Man, it's just, it's just really too bad you don't have a good personality, or because like that would have been great, you know, really would have been great (laughs) if you had a good personality." And she's like, "Yeah, I know. I just, I am so, I just, I can't do maybe next time." yeah she she was just she just crushed it and And they're all very themselves the ones that are reserved and quiet are reserved and quiet and that's fine like they all love Alyssa for being Alyssa and they support each other even you know maybe they don't all think the same way or believe in the same things but it it's like that is not what family is like you don't Agree with everything that your family does and everything right. that they say, but like you doesn't mean you love them any less. And I feel like that what that's what that team was about and is about.
0: Well, and I love that you brought up Alyssa because it for for me the moment of the semifinal, especially because I was at, at at the the end where where she made that save. Um, you know, keepers rarely get moments, but it only takes mm. one moment for a keeper to. You know, to really shine. Like a, a forward's going to get several opportunities, and it's okay if they don't score the goal the first or second or fifth time as long as they, you know, get some goals, right? But, but you can't keep letting in goals as a keeper, you know. So, for, so for her to have that moment stopping a PK, and sure, it was a weak one, but she still had to dive the right direction. You know, we saw in, in, in the final, the Netherlands keeper go the wrong direction when, you know, Pino took a kick. But I, I was re watching some of, the game when I got back, because uh, obviously you get you get better angles on TV, mm-hmm, and I love mm-hmm. I love that after she saved it and everyone's running up to to hug her, her game face never leaves her face. Her face doesn't change.
1: Oh, she was like, "What are she, you guys yeah. doing? Go play yeah, the game." I
0: mean, yeah, it wasn't till post game when, of course, they all sprinted out to to hug her. Then you see the smile and the relief. But I love that she's like, "No, no, this is this is who I, you know that yeah, everybody." Was who they were. I love that Rose Lavelle has these ridiculous moves, but she's also ridiculously tiny and, and always had her shorts tucked up into her shorts with her really long socks pulled over her knees. And, and my sister, who's with me, was like, okay, she's kind of making me think of Mary Catherine Gallagher from Saturday Night Live.
1: That's hilarious. You know, you know but,
0: but, but and, 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 and watching the post game. Trophy presentations where so they're doing the the ball pre- presentation. So she's got the bronze ball. She goes across the stage. She's facing where the camera is, but she's up there alone. She's waiting for silver ball, and gold ball, and she's like, "Look, around, like What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do?" And you see somebody tell her what to do. She goes, oh, "Okay." And then she looks at the camera and smiles. But it's just, yeah, it's 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 just so organic and comfortable, and like you said, they're themselves. And, and I think to me. Uh, to use the I word that we don't like that is actually inspiring as opposed to, no, you know, they're not perfect. They're themselves.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, yeah, it was so, great. It, was, it ended the way it was supposed to. And I think they're really going to, going to have a humongous platform. They've already, they've already had a platform and it's just getting bigger and bigger.
0: So last question for you Give me, give me, give me one story of your favorite behind the scenes moment, you know, whether it was around the team or not, of just like your, your four plus weeks in France, like what kind of oh. moment is going to stick with you or just randomly make you laugh when it, you know, crosses through your brain three years from now, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I lived that.
1: Uh, just, uh, there was so many moments. So it's really hard to pick one thing that happened. That was my favorite thing, but. Uh, you just mentioned Alyssa, so this is going to be something that I will always remember. Is um, that PK? Well, first off, she made that ridiculous save in the first half, and the only two people standing up after she made that save in our sections because it was a, it was on the opposite side of us were me yeah. and her twin sister, and we looked at each other and we were like, "Oh my gosh, that was ridiculous." <laughs> and um, like that save was incredible. I feel like she was a go-go gadget and that like stretch Armstrong something of the nature. And then in the second half, when she made that PK save, I was standing right next to her mom and I had told her parents um, earlier in the tournament, I was like, I left Colorado going to the world cup and there was all this talk already about Alyssa and hope solo and who is going to be better. And could she fill the shoes and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, just give her a break and let her live her life, you know, like let her have the opportunity to be good. And in the second half, when she had that penalty kick Uh and, you know, it was kind of a whirlwind. We, like you said, you watched the games back because there's no replays in the stadium. It's not like when you go to a game here in the States and they show a replay, the replays in stadium are absolutely cut out at these world cup games, which I didn't really know, but the controversy and the, you know, can that sway a referee's decision on the field if they see that or get the fans in an uproar? But we were seated right next to the press tribune and there were little replay monitors. So when that, when the PK, when the play was stopped and it went to VAR, I ran over to the replay monitor and I'm watching it and I'm like, man, if they call, like, I could see them calling it because of, the World Cup and the penalties that we had seen being called during the World Cup, but right. I could also see it not being called because it wasn't clear and obvious that Becky did anything wrong. It looked like to me Ellen White's kickback is what kicked Becky. It wasn't Becky kicking Ellen. Yeah. So it could have gone either way. So I I said that to them, and then VAR decided, and the referee on the field decided it was going to be a penalty. So I sit down, and um, I'm sitting in between. Uh, Alyssa's parents and her twin sister, and I had a pretty like funny reaction. Like I couldn't watch it, and like my hands were over my eyes, but I'm like opening up my hands to look and see, and I watch her save this and then celebrate it with her mom. And as I'm hugging her mom, her mom was like, you knew it, Jordan, you knew it. <laughs> you knew she was going to have a moment. And I, like when I left Colorado and there was all this talk about her and hope solo and who could have fill Phil hope Solo's shoes. And I just wanted her to have the ability to be her and like play her game and, and for people to stop talking about it. Right. Yeah. Especially cause she's a person that doesn't, want that attention she doesn't like thrive off of that that's just not who she is as a as a person she's super internally motivated and um, is is not into showing everybody like yeah I don't know she just is personal like she keeps everything pretty um to herself and And I just left Colorado feeling this peace that, like, Alyssa was going to be fine and that she was going to have a moment that was going to define really who she has always been. And I thought that was the perfect moment. And her mom telling me, like, you knew it, Jordan. You knew it. And she's, like, so happy. And her dad is fist bumping and her twin sister is, like, screaming. Just to experience that was a pretty cool thing, especially to a person that I have been friends with for a long time uh to see somebody's hard work uh pay off in a way that like now the world knows how good she is was really cool.
0: Yeah, and and I love those those moments too where you get to it, it kind of intersects the game, the family, the players the bigger media story, you know, and, and yeah, and I, I felt I, I mean, felt the same, I said the same way about Is like I want I want her to have that moment. And it's like I, I think it's a pointless argument of just like, can she fill whole solo shoes? Because well, it, it's, it's irrelevant.
1: 2016, it's irrelevant. like they just I don't know why the media thought that they could should should just bring it up again. Because it yeah. had already been discussed multiple times. And she was chosen to be the goalkeeper for a reason. And I'm just, you know, I hope now that we don't ever have to talk about that again.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, it's been a great chat, Jordan. And, and I'm sure you deserve at least another week of uh, uh, chartered flights and ticker tape parades. But
1: more importantly, very, <laughs> lo-
0: very long naps. So <laughs> I, I hope you'll yeah, get, I be getting I'm- some.
1: I, I think I've checked my box for chartered flights and ticket rates <laughs> for the, the next four years, but you'd better believe in four years I'm, I'm planning on doing it all again.
0: Well, and I hope we'll be hearing you on some NWSL broadcast soon.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm really happy that they have decided to sign a deal with ESPN and that people are going to be able to watch these games um, on, on their televisions, on a sports driven channel and get to continue watching. Not, not only these women who played for the world cup team, but their teammates every day of the year and their teammates on their club team. So it, it's going to be a good, a good thing for women's soccer. And if I'm a part of it, awesome, but I'm always supporting um, the league and what it's doing. So I'm just happy for that in general.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. time to wrap it up with the back four. First and very foremost, there will be five match days for the women's world cup victory tour. The first will be Saturday, August 3rd, and our women's world cup champs will face Ireland at the Rose bowl in California. Opponents are not yet set for the other four games, but you can mark your calendars. And note that these four dates do not conflict with the NWSL season, thankfully. August 29th, September 3rd, October 3rd, and October 6th. Note that the USON will play two games in November after the NWSL season is over, but those games will not necessarily feature all the players from the Women's World Cup team. And if you go to KeeperNotes.com and click on WoSo Nerd Links, you can download a PDF calendar of the final six months of 2019 that has all those dates on it, as well as the dates for the NWCL games that are on ESPN and 2 and ESPN News, and uh, the College Cup dates, and more information like that. All right. I launched a new Twitter feed this week. In addition to, of course, mix Zone and keeper notes. Uh, I hope everyone will follow WOSO merch. Um, I'm going to highlight one or two, or depending how crazy I'm feeling, maybe three or four <laughs> items of WOSO merchandise, uh, a day, just because I know there's a lot of people like me that just want to find more stuff. Um, and I will try to always know whether it's something that's licensed or not. You know, Keep in mind, following uh, a Women's World Cup victory like this, just like in 2015, there's going to be an explosion of stuff that's not necessarily official and may not benefit uh, the players or an official sponsor or investor uh, in, in women's soccer. So I'll try to make it clear you know, what's what. So give a follow to Woe So Merch. And speaking of merch, SoccerForAll.com still has a lot of Women's World Cup gear, including the official replica Women's World Cup trophy. Also uh, jerseys for almost all the Nike teams. So check out that website. And just like 2015, when Soccer For All helped fans get a third star on their USA jerseys, they may be able to help fans get a four star this time around. They're just, I know they're looking into getting the right gold thread uh, that matches uh, what US soccer is planning to do. So, email Sean, who's the manager of the store I used to run, and that's Sean, S H A W N, at soccerforall.com, and that is the number four. And last but not least, uh, you probably missed the tweet from NWSL, but as I mentioned in the open, tickets for the NWSL final are on sale now at Ticketmaster. The 2019 NWSL Championship game will will be played Sunday, October 27th in Cary, North Carolina, and will air live on ESPN2. And we all know that regardless of which teams are in the final, there will be Women's World Cup champion players featured in the game. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening, especially thanks to all people who are listening for the first time because you just got so swept up in the Women's World Cup that you wanted to find more women's soccer content. And as always, thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl well, you know she's anybody's girl